How you doing? Pretty damn good. How are you doing? Good on you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Pre- you. Pretty Thank damn you. good too. Everyone says how awkward That's nice the to uh, openings to these podcasts are. Well, it's just how do you start? How yeah. do you fucking start? What do you expect us to do? I don't know. Hey guys, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast. Uh, we're gonna talk. What are we gonna talk about this week, Jordan? Yeah, <laughs> send in your requests. And uh, this week, Jordan and I, we're gonna talk about farting in a relationship. Is it appropriate? <laughs> yeah. Should you do it? How far along in the relationship till you can fart with one another? Now, I don't know about you, Jordan, but I just, I just let it rip straight away. And if she's all good yeah. with it, she's the keeper, mate. Yeah, straight out of the gate, Shay. All right. Well, straight out of the gate two ways, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here's Jessica Mowboy again. Fuck! You're listening to Neil and Jordan in the afternoons. Dude, how <laughs> sad is it that that would have been the peak? Like, dude, I would have killed both my parents for that job like four years ago. <laughs> well, dude, I, I was I was always like a huge fan of commercial radio. That's true. That's true. But the thing is, you know, commercial radio is like two duos. When you listen to virtually anyone who was in Kyle and Jackie and Hamish and Andy, it's just like, thank you. Next, I like um Mikey and Emma. Yeah, yeah, they're like Kyle and Jackie light. They are, aren't they? And they're, they're I like ethnic I like them. West audience. They are. They're good. I'd rather now. I'd rather be like an AM talkback guy than an FM person. That'd be amazing. Just, I love the thought of just sitting there every day reading the paper and just being like, "This scumbag here." There, uh, and everyone, like, bank. and they can influence, or well, in the same way you can, but they can really influence politics in this country massively. Well, I mean, not in the same way I can. I mean, look, if Alan Jones doesn't like something the New South Wales government does, that's ending tomorrow. You know? Wow, that's power. <laughs> I, know. Like, that... I know. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, whereas Kyle can't really, Kyle Sanderlands can't really do that. I think he could if he wanted to. No, but his audience wouldn't listen to him because they don't know him for that. They don't like him for that. I don't think if he suddenly came out and said, vote for this candidate instead of the other one, people would be like, fuck off, Kyle. Do you reckon? Talk about fat chicks. I think it's just because he doesn't know. That's true as well. And like, I do wish that he talked about fat chicks more, but... <laughs> He has been a serious lack recently. Um, He's gone soft. He has gone soft. That 30-second delay. You don't know what it was like back in the Today FM days. Fuck me. Some of the segments that he came up with were just like... Oh, great. Torture. (laughs) I know. It was amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm still like a massive fan, and I still think that they're like extremely talented. I heard that. Yeah, they are loaded. Apparently their new contract. Have you heard about the new contract? Apparently they're like, I will need to double check this, but I heard that it's worth ten million each. That is over that is how many a year? A year. year. A year. <laughs> That's what I yeah. I heard something like that, and I just thought, that's American money. That that is yeah. No one in Australia. Two million used to be the unheard of figure in Australia. Like maybe one or two people in the media landscape would maybe have gotten sports that. Sports stars get that. The best footy players get. Maybe the best AFL player gets like 1.4 a year. Yeah. And then you'd get your sponsorships and whatever. But I'm sure Kyle and Jackie also get that. Yeah. But they're getting like <sighs> mid-tier American NFL star. They're getting that that's kind of money. That's true, yes. yes. But, dude. For Australia, that's For good. Australia. And, and an NFL star has, what, 10, 15 years max. They can keep going. What? Are they in their 50s? Until they're dead. Are they in their 40s or 50s? 40s. Or? So that could go another 20 years for sure. 
maybe not on a top 40 format and they're always well, I don't know actually like dude I'll keep listening to them I think it's just especially with radio it kind of just depends where your soul lies like with Carl and Jackie O like they still just sound like they appeal to you know like teenagers and shit because all they ever talk about is just being like what, what do you think about that guy's cock over there yeah yeah pretty good alright yeah what about that one Jackie no, that's bigger than that. Like, that's all they ever talk about. So many people hate listening to Carl. I, a lot of women that I know that listen to Carl and Jackie, they're like, oh, Carl's so, he's so mean. But then they'll keep listening because they just, I think they just find it entertaining or something like the. Yeah, but that's, that's, that is the ultimate in what you want from a woman. You know that you are in the sack with them. <laughs> if they have that kind of like, you're it dick but they're kind of like laughing and shaking their head That's at the true. same time don't you think like the ultimate thing that i look for in my audience in stand-up is when i say one of those borderline fuck jokes yeah. and you look in the audience and you see women just doing this being like that's when you know that that joke works you want that thing of them just sort of their body says yes but their mind says no you want that take that quote out of context <laughs> look judge her body said yes maybe her mouth said no but yeah it's sometimes a legal defense as well like, I, like I, I think that's what you're looking for because they're usually if you have the response of chicks in the audience of just being like you know that the guys that are there that are taking their girlfriend out they're gonna just be like oh Oh yeah, that that sucks, kind of thing. They're the they're the moral guardians of society. They kind of decide what's acceptable and what isn't. You want them to be on the borderline. Okay. Guys kind of just laugh at fucking anything that's remotely slack. <laughs> <laughs> but you you don't you think that we would have dude? That's why they love Kyle because Kyle is bitchy. They like that kind of mean. They like bitchy meanness. They like that kind of he's just pretty, like yeah, he's a job. He's like yeah, a, yeah. He's like the, he's like the straight uh, gay best friend. Exactly, that's what they want. It wouldn't work if it was just Kyle though. You need Jackie there because then it seems okay what Kyle is saying because Jackie is sort of the the. How could you describe her? She's, she is that. She's that audience member. She's the woman in the audience that's sitting there just like and she'll she'll she plays that role well of just being like <laughs> Carl that's really mean <laughs> like yeah that's that's how it works and it's great it is a great format yeah. and there's sexual tension there as well which is good that yeah I've heard stories of Carl he's a he's a fiend he gets on it like he just loves know? partying. He yeah, just I know that, fucks yeah. like an animal. Yeah. He's like Jabba the Hutt. He's just yes. like sits there in his mansion. And just... Decadence. I heard he saw Australian Two Minutes and really liked it as well. So on the off chance you're listening, Kyle, big fan. When? Was this years ago? Yeah, someone who worked for them or something like that. A friend who knew a friend who was an assistant of him or something showed him the video and he said, oh, that was really... He like really liked it. Dude, that is... Apparently, I couldn't I imagine anything that is like it's the sort of video praise. Kyle would like. It is he would love that shit, but like honestly, that is like the the highest. No award, no position in life is better than me than just the thought of Kyle just being like <laughs> before he sniffs coke. <laughs> <laughs> so like, man, I'm very <laughs> jealous. That is truly amazing. Well, I'm sure he'd love your. Uh... Like your Bali video. 
You'd probably love that. Probably. Probably. He just reminds me of. The other ones that are too political. Oh, too political. shit. Dude, you know what he reminds me of? Sounds like a wanker. You know, fat cunt as part of like that Max Mofo crowd. I don't know. I don't really watch much of that stuff. Right. To anyone. Is there anything for views, guy? Anything for views. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anything for views is Kyle Sandland's just, you know, two generations down. (laughs) That's him. That's him. Damn. He's got the same vibe, and I think that that's why people gravitate towards him. There's always just one of them. There's always just some fat guy that's just kind of like says what's on his mind, and everyone's just like legend, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, dude. I think it's like a, it's okay. a great position yeah. to be in in life. Well, any position where you're making ten million a year is good. Is pretty good. I heard that he um he uh there's this one cafe in Vaucluse or some eastern suburbs area, and then. He'll go there every day after his uh, morning radio shift, purposefully parking in a no parking zone. And the parking inspector every day comes past and finds him. But it's just a joke. It's just a joke because he knows that it's the no parking zone, but he just parks there anyway and pays the fine because he's that rich. Yeah. The parking inspector's like, hey, Carl. Carl's like, hey, (laughs) I don't know how true this is, but like, that is some (laughs) baller shit. And you know what? That's, That's him paying some. Extra taxes, yeah, actually. Dude, so yeah. he's doing a service. Like, for that the guy is a spinthrift. He's like, doing a service yeah. for the country in a weird way. He is. He's like, I know. Keeping that is... guy in a job. Yeah. That's fucking mad. If that's mad. true, that's, that, that is mad. You, you really can't hate on that. Every story that I hear about him personally, I love. Like, someone that I used to know works for them in marketing. And you know, when the, like the ratings records come in, they all pop champagne in the mornings. And yeah. They were like, yeah, we were number one again. Yeah, Everybody the, out there is just celebrating. 15th year in a row. Or that kind of shit. Yeah. And he, apparently every time, just kind of like shuffles <laughs> shuffles out of the uh, studio at exactly 9.01 or 10.01 or whatever. <laughs> just picks up a pizza that's there and just walks out <laughs> eating it. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't say anything to anyone. Just in his Mercedes and fucks off. Wow. That's, dude, don't you reckon? Like, does anything sound more likely to be likely? Like, that sounds like the most likely scenario to me for yeah. Kyle Sandilands. Yeah, I'm well. Shit. It's a monarchy. He is the, he and Jackie are the, the king and queen. They keep, well, probably hundreds of people have jobs because of their radio show. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an empire. No, what it else is. is it? it is. There's, there's nothing really to compare it to in Australian media history. Maybe, maybe the Graham Kennedy show, but not even that, because the Graham Kennedy John show. Laws, got put how much out. did he make him back in the day? Fuck, that's actually a good he question. He was good. Well, he was actually Carl Sandilands's inspiration. He learnt everything, and when you listen to John Laws, it makes a lot of sense because he basically is Carl Sandilands without a Jackie O, and talks about politics and shit as well, but. Hmm. Is he still alive? Yeah, and he's on radio still, and he's like oh. old as really? fuck. He's still going. But man, his radio show was entertaining. What radio? What radio station is he on? Two SM. It doesn't even blip on the ratings anymore. Okay. Like they don't even pay to get their ratings done. He's just even there with as his a name. Stalwart. Yeah, and okay. it's not. It's not getting good ratings anymore. I don't think he's lost his magic, though. I still think, like, his voice is funny as fuck. And the the entire concept of that radio show for 50 years was he just at the beginning of the show says, like, tell me what's on your mind. 
then people ring up, and because they're all old, they ha- there's all these crazy cunts that just come up there, and it's just like, who are you? What do you, what do you mean you don't think the moon's real? You're an idiot, an imbecile. Don't call this radio show again. This is that. It's just him abusing people on the phone for three hours a day. Uh, it's well, so good. People like that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. these broadcasters are... There's talent in Australia. It's just the people that people think are untalented. They're the talented ones. That's really... I think that's actually quite profound. I don't know why that is. It's because the, all the untalented people are part of some little institutional cabal and they all prop each other up. But the people that are truly talented, they sniff out the bullshit of the other people and they're that's kind of just like, true. fuck you, I'm not part of your club. They stand alone, don't they? They at least they can. the facade that they do. And I'm sure that they do. Well, they definitely do. Like, uh, they trash them. Part of their show, like all of those AM talkbacks and Kyle Sandalands and stuff like that, dude, most of Kyle Sandalands' show is just bitching about famous people. You know what? I can see, because you've always talked about how they were an inspiration for you when, when you were younger, and I can, I can really see that. You are our generation's... Carl's John Sand- Laws. John Laws, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like the new conception of it. On the on the appropriate medium, because you wouldn't be able to do that on radio now. No, absolutely not. Maybe on uh, um, AM, but like you know, appealing to a young audience. That FM audience, that's not just happening. Wouldn't, just wouldn't work. But FM radio doesn't appeal to a young audience anymore. Like you know, those those yeah. like, today FMs and Kiss FMs. That's all middle aged mums listening to that shit. Yeah, it's There's like no bogan, it's, bogan, it's single mums. Bogan <laughs> single mums. Yeah. Basically like Real Housewives of Melbourne, that audience. I go Real Housewives of Western Sydney, that's it. That's uh real single real ex wives of Western Sydney. It fucking is. But on top of that, no, also like, you know, like rich eastern suburbs mums listen to Kyle and Jackie O. It's just Well there you go. Women with fuck class. all to do in their life <laughs> listen to Kyle and Jackie O. It's universal. Transcends class. It does. Whereas ABC Radio would just be the uh, like well-to-do 50, 60-year-olds. You know what they call it? It's so good. Doctor's Wives Radio. And that's fucking... That's ABC local. It, it is, isn't it? It's so that. They are very... Very articulate. I'll give them that much when they speak. Turn on any other radio well, station. ABC local or whatever. Yeah, ABC Radio. I don't know if it's ABC local by... ABC National. Yeah. Yeah, whichever one it is. Mm. Yes. Well, they, yeah, I think also I, I think it's actually changing now because that's just who you look up to in life. But I know that from as I was talking before, I went to school with a lot of their kids. The journalists that are kind of a lot of them are dead now, actually. But the the you know the esteemed that the Kerry O'Brien's generation, all of them uh-huh. looked up to BBC radio journalists. So it's always just this like contingency yeah. of who you looked up to. You kind of just become yeah. like an inspiration of that. And that's why they have these very pronounced voices. It's because they <sighs> listen to that shit. Ah, uh, I see. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah, you are always like the next big the next big um persona in any media format is just going to be a product of someone that they were inspired by, but putting their own spin on it. And their generational context and yeah. their zeitgeist that they're representing. Yeah. So like I, I don't think that, dude, you know what? It's just an unfortunate thing about Mikey and Emma. Um, they were just born a little bit too late for that. And they're kind of just on that preface right, of person, right? And then, like they, they have that. I bet you Western Sydney audience. Pissed off, or everyone would be like, "Yeah, you're a lot like Kyle." 
I bet you he hates that. No, I reckon he'd fucking think that that's like a huge compliment. I reckon he's definitely modeling himself off Carl Sandburg. Yeah, but don't you think it's so? Because, like, that's the first thing you think of when you think of Mikey and Emma. You're like, oh, yeah, they're like Carl and Jackie O. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, it's the that. first thing you said Carl yeah. and Jackie O light. Yeah. And it is. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. Like, a Kyle and Jackie O light, I would much rather true, listen to than Fitzy and Whipper. That's true. But personally, I'm sure they'd hate it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It got them a career, I so shut knows, the yeah. fuck up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's not get too sidetracked with this one. That was a good little introduction to Australian radio. Pop, by the way, apologies if you're... Uh... Oh, you know what? We talked about some very Sydney-specific radio people there as well. So apologies if you just out of Sydney, which would be most of the people listening to this. Yeah, that's true, actually. But now you know about oh, well. um, some of the FM radio broadcasters in, in Sydney. So you reach you for it. Yeah. Pub trivia for you that'll never come out because no one... You're not from Sydney. Them. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> I know. We're better Their than you. The slogan was show Sydney. Hmm. If you don't get what that means, it's because you're not from Sydney. You're probably a bogan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no offence. Do you want to? What do you want to? What do you want to discuss? Epiphanies. That's what I want to discuss. Okay. Are we talking like spiritual epiphanies or just any realizations? Intellectual, okay. Intellectual, spiritual. All right. D- dive in. Start it. I guess. Okay. Well, it, it basically came up because uh, I was reading a book about the in inverted commas Rwandan genocide. And, and so I, I am completely um, uneducated on this. So when you say in inverted commas, what, what's the... Well, that's like a is, really controversial topic okay. to like everybody. But like now I'm just completely convinced on it. I mean, I just realized the older you get, the more bullshit was just taught to us. It doesn't matter like at high school, like your the rendition of history that you're taught is purely from a fucking, you know, like Western perspective. It's, it's like everything yeah. is always just taught from your sphere. And so you're just propagandized in that way. Rwandan genocide happened in the 90s. It was like apparently between two factioning tribes in Rwanda of the Hutu and the Tutsi. And then apparently the Hutu just went apeshit and killed all the Tutsi in the span of 100 days. And I was always fascinated by that because it's just like there's no examples in human history of like this all of a sudden out of nowhere explosion genocide. Hmm. Um so anyway, I was looking into it and I was reading this book that was by the guy that co-wrote Manufacturing Consent with Noam Chomsky, Edward Herman. He was talking about that genocide. The official numbers of how many Tutsi died was 800,000. Mm-hmm. You know, 800,000 people died and some of them were just like, you know, Hutu moderates or whatever. Problem with that, though, is that there was only 450,000 Tutsi in Rwanda in the census that was like surveyed the year before um after they did a survey of how many tutsi were left in rwanda there was two hundred and fifty thousand tutsi left which means at most at most according to the government's own figures two hundred thousand tutsi died that means that the other six hundred thousand bodies were hutu so you look into it further and you realize that the liberator the great liberator which his name is robert kagami he came in as part of this tutsi army that uh, was trained in Uganda that came back and how it went down is just like, you know, this it, genocide exploded for no reason. 
Mm. Um, there's like something about like the president getting shot down in a plane and that was the trigger for it, but he was a Hutu president. And so the official story is that it was Hutu extremists that shot down their own president that was Hutu. Why would they do that? You then, they, you then realize that there was an Australian uh, surveyor that was doing a, a UN-backed investigation of that plane crash. Yeah. He was saying it was Robert Kagame, who was one of the Tutsi generals, that organized that plane getting shot down. He takes that to the UN. The UN goes apeshit, throws away that report. This is an official report from the UN. This is like done by 20 people from international things. They were saying that plane was shot down, used as a trigger to justify the Tutsi coming in. 600,000 Hutu are dead. Like according to the government's own figures, it could be as much as 2 million. Robert Kagame comes in. Robert Kagame brings in his soldiers. They... um, they, they take over Rwanda, and isn't it funny to this day that Robert Kagame is still the president of Rwanda? H- hang on, so, sorry, slow down there. Sorry. <laughs> no, so um, the, the Hutu president was shot by some Tutsi soldiers. Yeah, Tutsi. So, so that, but how does then that justify the Tutsi army coming in? Well, they were just saying that they, they, they started spreading the story that it was Hutu extremists that did it as a trigger to start a genocide. So the whole thing is just based off this concept that a genocide was happening in Rwanda. Uh What you realize when you actually look at the timeline is that that was just used as a justification. And then they were just saying that like, oh, you know, shit's breaking, like hell is breaking loose. But what was really happening was that the Tutsi were, or the Tutsi elite or whatever, they were, they're like 10% of the population in Rwanda, like 90% of us Hutu, but like, in colonial times, the French and the Belgian would use the Tutsi as kind of like this aristocracy class to control the Hutu. Then the French and the Congolese, uh, sorry, the, the uh, fuck, most of the French anyway, they, they felt sorry about what they had done, Belgium. They felt sorry about what they had done. So they, they started making like the Hutu govern themselves because they were the majority and yeah. so they were the ones like, like in elections they're obviously the ones that are going to win because they're 90% of the population uh-huh. so when that happened like the aristocracy class of the Tutsi they were pissed off and they started going to other countries but they always saw Rwanda as theirs that's yeah, what he was okay. representing right so he comes in and so, so this assassination uh because it wasn't like a Tutsi figure was killed, a, a Hutu figure, a Hutu president was killed, but they still uh, justified the presence of this army by saying, "Oh, it's chaos. We got to, we got to save the country." Is that, yes, it was yeah. kind of just like everything broke down. But w- what was actually happening, and this is just evident in documents that have come out later, is that they had been invading Rwanda and attacking this democratically elected government over like the last 20 years and just eroding its power by like, you know, constantly keeping it on the, on the assault. They were trained by the Ugandans and the Americans were giving them heaps of weapons and they were giving them training and funding to attack Rwanda and just basically undermine the government and make it weak. And essentially what actually happened was that they had like a lot of splinter cells and stuff in Rwanda that kind of just triggered the genocide. It was the Tutsi that did it. Okay. The Tutsi did it. And then he comes in, invades the country uh-huh. uh, on, on the premise. So this was in the like, 90s. In the 90s. 
And like, okay. you know, because like what was sold to us in, in the West was just like this genocide of machetes just erupted out of nowhere and they efficiently killed 800,000 Tutsi in the span of 100 days. Uh-huh. Um, and the Americans just didn't really know about it and they were slow on it and they feel really bad that they didn't do the genocide. What you realize actually is that the Americans were funding uh, Robert Kagame. Uh, the French were the ones that set up the... Hutu as their own thing and like the French were always sold as the evil ones that were trying to protect the Hutu. Didn't, Why? Didn't you say the French French and the Belgian were you Belgian were using the Tutsi as their over the time of colonialism, but like when they started moving out of colonialism, they kind of felt guilty about that fact and so oh, they were just like, okay, okay yeah, we'll yeah. set up the Hutu because they're the ones that are the minority. Okay. Like they've just been fucked over for like, you know, I don't know, four hundred years or whatever, right? Okay. And well before that even, because the Tutsi used to rule over the Hutu as well. So, like, just years of just being, like, a underclass. And what's the difference between these two? Um, Mostly that the Tootsie are taller. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Like, just, like, it's really? so primal. It just goes down to that. Wait, so there's no actual... Is there, like, a cultural difference? Or do yeah. they have different, um, you know, religion or something? Or I don't know if they have a different religion, but culturally, the, so the whole taller. area... Basically just taller. There was, like, two tribes that just kind of okay, come from Neolithic times and they turned into thingos. Huh? On the Hutu side then. Me too, man! Dude. Like, oh yeah, okay. Right. Stand up for the-, <laughs> <laughs> the forever oppressed short people. <sighs> Poor midget. And then, uh, yeah, so he comes in, he invades the country. Um, then, and this is never spoken about, and so, like, the Americans were backing them. So, like, basically, and the only people that were really telling the truth about it was the French newspapers. And at the time, the UN Secretary General was French. And he was saying that, like, this genocide is being orchestrated by the Americans. Um, they were funding that army. They were training that army. And they wanted to install the Tutsi back into power to control Rwanda. And now they use Rwanda as sort of like this Israel of Africa to kind of just, like, control diamonds and control the precious metals that you use in mobile phones and uh, computers, all of that shit is usually found in Central Africa. And so they use Rwanda as this like military stronghold. They go into like places like Congo and, you know, just illegally invade it. No one gives a shit because it's like Robert Kagame and he's backed by the US. And the, the guy is the biggest mass murderer that is alive today. He's responsible for 5 million deaths. He's killed a lot of people and he is held up to this day as this, like, father of Rwanda. He's the president today in a Hutu-majority country of 90%, but he wins 90% of the vote. And the whole time I was always just like, oh, yeah, it's just because he's just so sound at economic management or whatever that they just vote for him because they just feel sorry about the genocide and they just voted him in. Not a fucking chance. Like, he is a dictator, and he's just been installed by the US, and he goes to all these other countries, kills off Hutu in those countries, so that they can extract resources that the U.S. then use. Um, this was all orchestrated by the U.S. so that they could have the same empire-building thing that they use, like in the Middle East, in South America, basically the whole world, yeah. right? But what amazed me about that thing, and that's why I was just talking about like an epiphany, right? It's just like I, I usually understand in every conflict how the conflict works because after a while, like it's just very... There's a there's a distinct pattern of how the Americans influence global politics. They use the same tools over and over again. Yeah, it's the story that was behind this one 
of this genocide that exploded out of nowhere and this savior that came down and I just took it hook, line, and sinker. And then when I read the facts about it, well, again, it was like the guy that wrote Manufacturing Consent, Edward S. Hermes, he's like one of the most esteemed academics of our time. There's all these other books that are written so by, by other academics. how much of it was Noam Chomsky and how much of it was him? Or was it just a sort of... That's a good question. I don't know. Okay. But I think that Edward S. Herman actually would have done a lot of it and, and Chomsky kind of just would have been like the, the name that sold it. But I think that, you know, he obviously would have contributed. Okay. But I think that Noam Chomsky has like a lot of projects happening at once and Edward S. Herman really kind of just works on propaganda. Is he still alive? Barely. Okay. Same as Chomsky though. They're both very old. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was just like there was this moment where I was just reading it and it, you know what I'm talking about here? Red-peeled. That's it. Like just like your entire something that you understood about life, like you just learned basically that the opposite of that happens, and like yeah, like it, it kind of just like makes you feel uncertain. Like it's kind of just yeah. like being the wind has been taken out of you, and you kind of just been like, whoa, what well, the fuck? Your your re- reality has uh, been disrupted. Your reality has been disrupted. That's that's it. That's what I'm. T- I think that's the epiphany moment that I'm talking about. It's like in, it's heavier than an epiphany. Epiphany is kind of like a ah. This is kind of like a what is happening? Mm. Like that. That like what's real and what's not, man. Like that. And that what sensation. do you what do you think is um what's worth uh, talking about with when it in regards to that feeling and that sensation? I live for that. Yeah. I realize I live for that moment of just being like. The char- well, they've one, they're character building, and, 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 and two, they're just they're evidence of you growing as a person. Evidence of you growing as a person. Hmm. And there's a, deep, there's a deep truth that comes with it. And the truth is uncomfortable. It's very, yeah, it can be very uncomfortable, those sorts of realizations. When you've thought something, you've been sure of something. And it, it's not even that you've thought something. You, you, it's just been a given. It's been a fact. So you've never actually thought about the possibility of it being wrong. And then when that's shattered, it takes a while for you to just get your bearings. And that's, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to get that feeling more. But man, if I could get that feeling maybe every like two weeks, I'd love it. I'd just like enough time to recover it, then boom. But I think that those instances, I don't know about you, but for me, they're rare. They're very rare, yeah. So you okay? So you've had these experiences, yeah. How often do you think they happen to you? Uh, uh, once a year, once not, every not two even. years. Yeah, maybe, maybe something like that. Me yeah. too. Maybe probably more less than that. Yeah, not often. It's not often. Yeah, but I think that like man, it, it, the more you have of those. The more you have of those, the better I think it is for you. Yes, nothing's ever sort of formulated my current worldview and perspective on life more than those disruptive instances of being red-pilled. Yeah, it's like and it's like you're getting shaken out of like a dream or a theory. That's the thing, right? That's what I like about it. It's like what Jed McKenna talks about, of just like living in the dreamscape. Yeah. That everybody's kind of just living with these like convenient or nice fairy tales in their mind yeah i like it when reality is kind of shaken into you yeah and and just the, uh when you uh in, endure that experience the first time it makes you realize 
that everything else that you've taken for granted or accepted as um, unquestionable fact is now suddenly um, up in the air. Mm. And how much do you really know? Mm. If you were mm. so convinced of something and then you've realized that you're uh, entirely wrong and you've been lied to, uh, then the possibilities are endless of what you, how ignorant you truly are. And that's, in yeah. a way, it's very, it's humbling. Yeah. That's and it's it. a good thing. Yeah. Ultimately, it's it's um it's sh- it's world shattering at the time, and it can hurt even. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think it's it's a good thing for you to experience, to have those experiences. Because in general, I think it just expands your consciousness of. It's exactly what you're kind of saying, I guess, just like your your limited perception of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's not even just the thing of like, that's also like a part of it of just like, what is true and what isn't? That that is something very important to to gesture, but I think it also just permanently breaks down something in your mind where like you're you're not that ignorant anymore in like everything. Everything around you is like your little bit less susceptible i guess to like the dunning kruger effect or whatever of just because dude the the bane of my existence i can handle people that like own me with facts or whatever online and in fact i like that the thing that gives me the shits and this is 99 percent of criticism is just people that are really ignorant like they, they they don't even know what they're trying to argue properly and they're smug about it. What's a what's an example of, of that? You know, someone's just being like, John Howard gave us the surplus. Checkmate. It's just like, dude, like I, ca- I can't be bothered to educate. Like I've done a whole hour stand-up show on why that point is ridiculous. Like why that is such a dumb point. I can't be bothered getting into this. You know? Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's just one of those things. It's... I don't know. I, I I think as a result of having those like realization moments, like I'm actually most scared of that. It's that thing of like you know ignorance is bliss, but like it, I, I, dude, when you are ignorant, you are very susceptible to uh, you know marketing. You're very susceptible. Then to... how do you know? Oh, sorry, go on. I think it's just that. It's just like if you are. If you don't have those like realizations in life, yeah, I think you're just a sucker. Like, dude, the fact that you think, just as an example, the fact that you think that John Howard delivered us a surplus, which is like a thing that most economists will say isn't even an economic factor, but they sold that as like that's why he's good at managing the economy. But the fact that like you know, you don't even know that him just being there meant that Australia had no resource tax, didn't try to nationalize mines, and so all of our wealth trillion dollars of wealth was getting sucked out of the country but he gave us a 20 billion dollar surplus you know like but like all of this money was being sucked out of the country on his watch and that's why he was there you know but you in your mind think like yeah he's good at managing the economy so you keep voting liberal and it's just they're this puppet group that is controlled by like a few multinational corporations that want him to be there so that they can continue to exploit this country for its resources right but you have bought into the narrative that they're good economic managers it just means if you don't have those like mind expanding moments in your life you're susceptible mm. to being taken advantage of 
that's usually what happens at the end. Like, I think there's like that humbling thing. When you have those realizations, you're kind of just like, damn, I was a sucker. How do you know that um, you're not currently um, in that ignorant state right now with, and I'm not just talking about the Howard thing, for example, but with anything that you um, take as fact right now, mm. how, how does one ensure that um, they're not just a product of the narrative that they've been fed? It's That's the hardest thing about it. You never fucking know that, do you? But I think that there's just like, you know, John Howard delivered as a surplus, my, like as opposed to just, uh, I guess, just as a quick example, as opposed to you know, trillion dollars of wealth sucked out on his watch that already does the twenty billion dollars surplus. Keating put in what is known as a structural surplus, meaning that he created the economy in such a way that the budget was just naturally going back into surplus. Howard was simply there when it ticked over. Like that, all of these facts outweigh the very simple truth that you're told. I think that that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's just like propaganda that is sold to the public just by necessity is usually very simple and as soon as you can poke a bunch of holes into it like the tootsie thing right where it's just like look here's the census results 450,000 tootsie um after the genocide 250,000 tootsie but 800,000 dead bodies you know like just things like that it's just like the maths doesn't add up and if you go into it with a mindset of just like looking at the facts as they are you can't believe the official story anymore, you know? The official story, like, and, and when you go to the people that are telling the official story, the UN, the Clinton administration, when you, or Kagami, any of them, and you say that to them, th- there's, no res- there's no response to that. They okay. don't try and clarify the record. They just shut up about it. They just shout you down. They say that, you know, you're a genocide apologist. But it's that same thing. It's like what happens with SJWs and shit like that, you know? Like, they're just like, you're a racist. Like, that's all they've got at the end of the day. It's very shallow, which means that they're wrong. <laughs> if you can't argue on the facts, you yeah. don't you don't have an argument. I think that's what it is, right? Like if you had like can you remember a point in your life where you just were just like, oh shit. There'd be a few, yeah. Do you remember any like specific instance though? Talking to you and then reading um the truth was probably a bit of a yeah. bit of that. Yeah. The truth was that. Yeah. Yeah. The truth does it. Like, all those books on relationships did that. Yeah, they definitely did, yeah. It yeah. opens up so much of... And you know what I think a lot of that relationship stuff is? I think it's like... I think because of fairy tales and Disney... Well, actually, Disney, because a lot of fairy tales actually ended up a bit sad and melancholy from, like, the Middle Ages or, like, afterwards. But Disney, they kind of sell this, like, they lived happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah, and we all grew up on that. And we grew up on that when we were kids, so it was a very formative um, time in our life. Yeah. So it's hard to break out of that because it happened to you as a kid. And like and like most things that were put into your head as a kid, you never question it. Yeah, it's there. And then you read those books on relationships, and it's just like, no, no, it's it's not a happy ending. It's like, it's it's actually yeah. like really hard work, and there's a lot of psychology that you need to deal with personally. And there's that's exactly it. Yeah, 
I don't think I'm, I'm trying to think off the top. I've never had like a political epiphany as such that I can think of. There's been definitely points where I've um, previously disagreed with something or someone or a particular view and then I've changed, but never had an entire um, philosophy broken apart or anything like that. But it's not um, my field of expertise either. I think that's a part of it though, isn't it? It's just like, I think that's it. It's just when you realize something has been a long-standing lie in your head. When you've um, accepted things as unchangeable, so that there's just no question in your mind that that is not even whether it's a fact, it's just part, it's, it is like the building blocks of your reality. And when that's broken apart, you, you, it's it's very confronting. What do you think? Do you think there's anything there? Look, um, just by going off my life experience, and I'm sure yours as well, there probably will be times um, in the coming years where I will have those epiphanies. That would be, it'd be interesting to think about what those epiphanies could be. Or whether you think, oh no, now I have my worldview and it's set, and I'm, I'm certain this is it. I know, like I know the utmost extent of what I'm going to ever know. But I don't. Yes, I the, doubt that for me anyway. Exactly sure. for you. Yeah. Because I know you are not. You have a curious mind, so you're not going to be like a lot of the time those bogans that kind of just argue the same fucking dumb talking points over and over again it doesn't matter what you tell them they're not because dude at the end of the day like basically the reason that i like arguing apart from um you know kind of just just to like sharpen the skills of argument i i just genuinely just like arguing but i i also like <laughs> I arguing <can> because <laughs> Watch a few of your videos, I can tell. Yeah, it, it gets it gets pretty obvious after what this the sixth video that it's over and over again, just being like, "Hey, we all should just fuck you on this point." But I think that the other thing is that it. Uh, I like arguing to see where my perspective of life is wrong because I think that as a result of having a few of these experiences, I like having those moments of fuck. Where have you recently, um, other of, of the Rwanda thing, but in the context of arguing, where have you recently had that realisation? And also, do you think there's a particular area in your breadth of knowledge which is more susceptible to an epiphany in um, the coming years as opposed to other areas? No, it's just it's it's always the areas that you focus on, right? So like, we both focus sure. on self help. So there's going to be there's going to be a few. This is the great thing but about. I never, we never always focused on self help. We then got into self help, and then mm. that's where the epiphanies come from. So could there be some? We're going to be very hard to speculate on that because you wouldn't know if there is some future subject that you're going to be very interested in. No, that's true. But I think that yeah, if you if you read deeply enough into any subject, um, you will find epiphanies along the way. So pretty yeah. much all I ever read is politics and self help. So I find those epiphanies in those areas, and 
I, I think that that's just pretty much it. Um, you know, if you if you were doing it on medicine or whatever, you probably have the same thing. It's just I think that the difference is when you're talking about politics or self help, because the realization is either about society or you. The the realizations hit harder. Sure. I mean, look, media bias. I guess that happened when I was in high school. What what are the what are the ones that I've had? Nuclear power was definitely one of those for me. Nuclear power just really like. That's why I've delved deeply into that subject because I realized it's just like it's a secret fossil fuel industry and it has the same thing as just like Rwanda or like, you know, propaganda against China and stuff like that. It, and it's not like, you know, it's not like the Hutu are innocent or it's not like the Chinese are innocent or whatever. It's just kind of this thing of like the story you were told is wrong. It's not correct. There's more to it than that and you realize that there was like a sinister intent of them selling that story. I think that's the thing that I'm always looking for now. I'm looking for those things of like a, a sinister intent of selling. Like, dude, I think the reason that like the the relationship thing, the relationship thing had that feeling for me, and I, it's the same with you, but I think the reason is, is like it's the narrative that was sold to you was sold to you for a malicious purpose. That's the other thing that I think happens when you have one of these epiphanies. Uh-huh. Like they were selling you the they lived happily ever after thing because it's commercially viable. Sure, yeah. So there's this kind of, there's this feeling of like, I've been tricked. Yeah. That's the feeling I like. I like realizing I've been tricked and I, I really find it, it, it just like a an intellectually dull moronic person and and a cunt basically like somebody who like you know in their day-to-day life they're not going to be a good person they're going to be ignorant foolhardy susceptible suckers like if they can't listen to your argument and they still just repeat dogma right um the other big um realization i had with um epiphanies i might have had uh previously in my in my life was that it gave me, uh, uh, yeah, it gave me a sense of ignorance. And now when I talk about certain subjects that I know I don't have the breadth of knowledge as someone else, I am the first person to mention that ignorance. Yeah. Previously, I would have said, I, I still have my political opinions and my leanings, but whenever I get into a political discussion, I say, I'm not an expert on this. This is what I think, or this mm. is what how I see um, the machinations of politics. Uh, and so I think ultimately that's a good thing. I, I'm more aware of my um, my ignorance and more people should be because <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. cocky, ignorant people out there. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I think is very scary. Like, But again, it's just like there's, there's, there's an intuitive thing in you. I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know. But like I know from talking to you enough that... Your, your brain is curious. Yeah, I ask That's a lot. That's something of, that you need. I ask a, a, lot, a lot more questions now rather than just make statements on things that I thought I knew. Yeah, I'll still it. make statements, but I will uh, intertwine a lot of questions in there. Because you're kind of interested in discovering more about the subject as opposed to... Just, because that's the thing, right? Like, if you just keep repeating the thing that you've said in your life, like, you're not... Yeah. You're not interested in learning. And I don't want to stick my neck out and say something that is wrong. Like, I'm very careful about 
saying things that could be wrong. And that's, a, that's actually a fear of mine to just say something that is completely factually wrong or just wrong in any sense. Mm. So I, I will always, and sometimes it might even come across as, oh, this guy just lacks confidence, but it, it's not that. It's I am just very, very aware of my potential ignorance. Mm. And I want to have discussions. I want to delve into issues, but um, I just do not. I, 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 I have to do it justice because knowing um, how strong my convictions were on uh, previous subjects, which turned out to be completely wrong, I just don't want to. I don't want to walk through life or any discussion with that kind of headstrong stupidity. No. Who would? No, you do, exactly. But I suppose it's just that. It's just going onto the path of like wanting to be educated as opposed to the arrogance of thinking I'm edu- I know everything. Yeah. That's what you're really looking for. I mean, like this is a very basic point, but that's that's what I'm looking for. Like, dude, I mean, I know we briefly talked about this and it's really Joe rogan but at the moment I'm just re- – because Bill Maher never shuts up about it, this book about like shaky jellic. Yeah. I think I think that's what people are chasing when it comes to psychedelics. I'm not sure about that. But like everything that it, and I'm talking that's to people. It's like, dude, it used to really bore me listening to people talk about like their LSD trips. It was like the same thing as like a dream. It was just like it didn't happen. Shut up. Like I don't care. Yeah. But now they're just kind of talking about the same pinpoint things that happen when you take LSD or or shrooms or like lick toads or whatever like there's this thing that happens they kind of decide is like ego dissolve like something happens when you have these specifically psychedelics and most other drugs your speeds your myths your cocaines weed all that shit alcohol it kind of inflates your ego it just makes you think that you're right. more awesome than you are weed? maybe not weed. well no you know what dude like a lot of stoners i know they're funny but they're also really selfish. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so, I think like there's a point, it's like everything with drug abuse, right? Like weed, yeah, it can be used as a medicine, but most people just use it as a drug and they fuck their brain. Like, I think yeah. it's the same thing that happens with psychedelics. Like I, I, I would never have weed. I'm kind of thinking of having shrooms because of this books, this book's written by Harvard uh, researchers and they're going through like uh-huh. 40 years of, Stuff, but th- this idea of like the ego dissolving, and as a result of that, like they give it to say prisoners, they give it to a control group, and then they give shrooms or whatever to the other one. The amount of repeat offenders from the psychedelics group was 25%, the amount of repeat offenders from the control group was 80%. So that is, and is it just a one time? Um, trip or do they do it consistently for a period of time? One time trip. They say that once. like yes, if you if you do it like once or twice and you have like some fucking Indian shaman there just kind of guiding you through the trip, just being like, just look at the caterpillar, ask what it wants, like that kind of stuff. Instead of just being like, fuck, it's there, man. Like you have to have somebody there that kind of because they went through like yeah. forty years of research. They know how to kind of guide someone through a, a trip. How would you go about finding someone like that? Are they just out I'm, in I'm, Newtown, or <laughs> they're probably I'll further say Blue out? Mountains. Than, yeah. I'll say the Blue Mountains. Like virtually, just go to the barista in the Blue Mountains and say, "Can you be my shaman?" He'll be like, "Yeah, man." Like, 
Wow. But I look, what is happening there, I think, is somewhat of a profound... Do, you know what they were actually saying, which actually sounds really cool? About You're supposed it? to do it in nature, aren't you? You're not... Yes. Yeah. Where did you hear that? Uh, friends. So they said the same thing, because they were saying that, like, if you do it in this apartment... Basically, you'll just try and retreat to the plant. But like, as, as soon as you're around synthetics and stuff like that, you want out. Yeah, okay. You, you want to be around plants. How uh, long is it for shrooms? It's what, a couple of hours, isn't it? Or I don't know. It depends on the dose you take. Okay. Um, and the, the strain, I guess. But um, yeah, they were, they were saying that, yeah, you want to be around nature. Pretty much the same thing that they were saying over and over again. It was like, all these Harvard professors, right? Or researchers, at least. What's the book called? No, I can't even it's remember. By, I think but it's it's, oh, by How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Okay. So he's kind of just talking about... Because he's just saying that like there's very few moments in life where you're able to get out of your head. This is what... It's I think true. like this is a very common thread in our podcast don't you think that we're yeah. we're kind of constantly just talking about like what well, your head's just kind of just a prisoner of your own mind yeah well he's saying that that's the key out that's their theory yeah anyway. okay you trip balls for a moment and like because i was talking to ali for instance and he's fine with this because we just talked about it on the pod he was saying that when he had acid and this is the very common experience that you see over and over. He's, he's saying that he had acid. He was looking at this tin shed. And then he was looking at the tin shed. And then he was just being like, man, what the fuck is the point of that tin shed? And then he just started thinking like, what the fuck's the point of anything? And then like, he was like, what the fuck's the point of me? And like the, the questions, because it's just tripping balls and shit like that. It just starts eating your ego. And I was just like, because obviously he has other drugs like cocaine and stuff like the 80s businessmen have and they think they're the shit and stuff like that this one kind of just like makes you completely there's something that this kind of just called ego dissolve and other people kind of talk about it as just their brain it's like it's it floats off and it's just going through the trees like a bee or a bird would be going through it they kind of just remove themselves from it for a moment okay that's what happens in your mind and then what happens is a bunch of emotions that you've been suppressing your whole life or whatever just rise up. And that's when people have bad trips. But if you kind of just sit there through the bad emotions and experience them, you have a bunch of realizations. Okay. So well, tell me if you, tr if you uh, do them. Look, I don't, I don't, I'm very scared of my autistic brain on psychedelics, but dude, the thing you is you do a microdose or something. I'm definitely not taking acid. If I was ever going to take anything, I'd be taking mushrooms. I'm not going to take anything synthetic. Right. I think that's just a terrible idea. If I was going to do something, it would be mushrooms and it would be... I think that the thing is, you know, if you're an 18-year-old that's on the dole or whatever, you shouldn't be taking mushrooms. You should be getting to the point where you're at a sort of stage in your life, and I have this as well, where it kind of just... You know your brain so well that it's sort of just a machine. I don't know if you have that feeling sometimes. Do you? Do you have this feeling where you can kind of feel your brain working as a factory? I get it a lot when I'm writing scripts. I know certain thought patterns that are repetitive in my way of thinking. I haven't had the feeling of it being a machine as yet. But, but I'm a lot more observant of the, the way I think and um, some paths that my brain and train of thought always tends to take. Yeah. 
definitely more aware of that, yeah. And that happens to you. Yeah. And that's, well, like the older you get, I think the more that that just obviously happens, you're more aware of it. And obviously the fact that you're reading self-help, that makes you hyper aware of that. And that's a great thing that you are aware of that. I think machine might just be a metaphor that doesn't work for you, but basically you're just describing sure. that. Yeah, sure. Okay. But that thing of just, you know, I've thought this before. I think oh, yeah, like yeah, when yeah. we're talking Definitely. about the jokes, don't you get that? Like I feel my brain doing the same things over and over when I'm writing a joke script. Like, sorry, a script. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, like I said, tell me if you be very interested to hear uh, any epiphanies you have when you go on a mushroom trip. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think that they're always like just going to be... come out of it and you're like, man, I was wrong. Liberal is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, how good would that be? Uh, the trees told me, man. Uh, <laughs> that would be so funny. Fuck. In a, in a tie-dye shirt. Yeah. Sitting on that channel. John Howard didn't check. Yeah, look, I... I, I, I think that a lot of that is actually the reason that people like listening to Alex Jones. Whether those red pills are invented or not, he's kind of just constantly just being like, you thought it was this, but it's actually this. That's his whole shtick. Yeah, so people get addicted to that feeling. Yeah. So you can definitely go down that hole, and I think so that's selling like conspiracy theories. He's, damn, that's his product. Because because um, accepting a conspiracy theory gives you an unearned sense of authority over other people. Yeah. So that's why the sort of people who are always into conspiracies are losers, because they've got nothing else going for yes. them. Yes. So that's where the way I've always um, just disavowed anyone who... Um, talks about conspiracy theories, but maybe that's an epiphany I need to have. What? The Realize that the that my uh, preconceived idea about them and my very judgmental idea about them, which at this point in my life I still stick by, is wrong. <laughs> There's never anyone who's like in control of their life that has a conspiracy theory. It is always a stoner or just someone in a basement. It's never like, I don't know. It's never like a nice parent just looking after their three kids that's like, oh, yeah, by the way, lizard people control the world. Yeah. That never happens. No. And I'd be more inclined to accept it. But then maybe that's just me living in my false reality. Well, actually, okay, but... Parents would have, there'd be, I've met, you know, parents of three kids and stuff that are just kind of like, yeah, I believe in theories and shit. So I suppose it's just the same. Okay, well, that's true. But, but it's it's actually I mean. less, it, it's a little more mental effort. You know what it is? It's a little more mental effort to accept a conspiracy theory. And it's a lot more mental effort to accept the truth. And I think that that's why conspiracy sure. theories sell so well because it's 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 a fake red pill it's just kind of like all pre-packaged in a documentary for it and it's just like if you don't like question or look into any of these assumptions this is what happened and it is food for the ego ultimately it says that you're not doing anything wrong in whatever circumstance you're in in your life but the world is doing this wrong yeah whereas the real epiphanies come uh, are what you talk about when people go on trips they they break down your ego mm. because something you gained a sense of purpose 
from believing previously turns out to be wrong. Mm. So that's that's challenging for you to accept, but uh, it spurs growth when you do accept it. It's, I think. Actually, I guess you know what would probably be a massive trip is just reading a book on Buddhism while on acid. Woo. Because I think that, look, your your ego gets destroyed. That's what they keep saying in the book over and over again, like ego disillusion or whatever it is. And I think that that's like the, the epiphany of Buddhism at the end of the day is kind of just this thing of constantly trying to destroy the ego. And the ego, as they see it, is not this thing of I'm awesome. That's one form of ego. Ego is more just an attachment to anything. Yeah. yeah. Like say with us, for instance, that we're just like, I'm a comedian. Yeah. yeah. Are you? Yeah. Like you've convinced a bunch of people that you're a comedian, but are you a fucking comedian? Like is is that the element of your being, is it? Anything that makes up a large portion of your perceived identity. Your perceived identity. And if people attack it, that's when you know that you've got something in your ego, right? Like when people attack it, you get defensive. Yes. Whatever offends you. It's um, part of your ego. Yeah, that's your ego at work. Frank, I want to do a podcast on that in the next one. Yeah, we will what actually do one. What offends you? And because, dude, that, that all comes down to... That, that, basically, that question is ego because that's all... Yeah. Every time I've ever seen somebody who's offended online, there's so many eyes involved in it. Like, I've never been like this but in I've, my life. I always thought better of you. I'm disappointed. Like, it's a lot of that shit. Look, I, I think everyone has pressure points. Everyone has things that they're offended by. Even the people who say things like, oh, people are too soft these days. Everyone gets offended by everything. You're getting offended by people being offended. offended. Yeah. And that's a testament to what you value. And so you value toughness and um, resilience and... um. Well, those those are the main components. Resilience, because you've probably dealt with a lot of pain in your life, but you've haven't spoken up about it. So as a result, you think other people shouldn't be um, complaining. I think a lot of that mentality comes down to that. They they've created the image in their head of that, though. Yeah, because they're not actually tough, are they? They might, actually, I mean, they might be. Honest, they, well, like, dude, if they're getting offended by someone getting offended, that's pretty fucking weak. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think so anyway. Like, you know what's tough? You know what's really fucking tough? You know those Buddhist monks in, like, the Vietnam War that, like, set themselves on fire in protest? Yeah, that's tough. That's fucking tough. <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> I know. Can't doubt that. Can't doubt that shit. Hmm. All right, well, that's okay, 100%. Next podcast, um, what offends you? And ultimately, it'll be because if you, if you can do some what offends you, you can then work out how you view yourself and it, it plays into your identity. Yeah. Because I know for a fact that, yeah, because I'm, I see myself as a comedian more than anything. So when people say, you're not funny, are you just like, fuck you? Not so much just specifically you're not funny, but if it's a more nuanced criticism, like... That joke didn't work for these reasons. Is that yeah, that that, that can can upset me. That does give me the shits as well. <laughs> it kills me. And you know what actually kills you about it? Because I always get this as well. I think, well, tell me if I'm off base with you, but like, I think it's always just this thing of like, oh, well, do you 
tour the nation talking to like hundreds of people a night doing comedy? No. So what's your mm. opinion worth, mm. really? But that is a deflection. And that is how I respond, but it is ultimately a deflection because you're not actually listening to their criticism. You're just assuming they must be wrong because they're not doing what I'm doing. That's true. But you've got to actually say, all right, well, hang on. Is their point about my joke construction correct? Because immediately I, I, I noticed myself when I've been, I've been actually looking at my hate comments on um, videos recently. This is self-isolation. What else is there to do? And I noticed certain comments really hit harder than other comments. Comments are they that right are like, no, one of them was no, one of them was like obviously wrong, but for for whatever reason, it just, you know what it is, because it's like obvious stupidity. I'm not offended by. Like I got a message being like this, this like blatantly racist message, and most people in the mainstream media anyway would be like, this is just another example of why Australia is racist or whatever. I laughed it off. I was like, this guy's, guy's kidding, right? Like, I just thought it was a joke because mm. those are the characters I make fun of. Mm. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel um, insecure when I get uh, hit with the racial slurs or whatever. But when it's like, a, um, when people are questioning the quality of my comedy or the depth of my my content that's when i ju- i can i can't take it and i think a large part of my identity as a as a comedian is that like i am the smart comedian so that's why i think it's really good to see what you're upset and offended by because it can give you a big insight into um your identity how you perceive yes. yourself yes damn Because if it's a very stupid comment, I'm like, well, my comedy's not for you anyway. But then if it's like someone who's kind of smart, and I'm just like, oh. Damn. Yeah. Anyway. I think that's... That'll be another podcast. Just a little preview there for you. That's a... Yeah, that's, that's actually really... That's actually a very, very fine... Yeah, very, very precise point. I think the time that I'm always like offended, I guess, is um, anytime anyone attacks me for being dishonest, if they're just like, you're saying, this, it's a classic thing, so just like, you're saying this because you're paid by the Labour Party, or like, you're saying this because you're like, um, just need to like fulfill your narrative or like anytime anyone ever alludes to the fact that i'm just being disingenuous or dishonest that Mm. gives me this shit usually anything that's like attacking my comedy i I kind of just laugh that off of just being like i I have that virtually about anything with my image Mm. dude you know why because i have this image in my mind of just being like this like Lone Crusader, like Jordan against the world. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I can say that. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's so true. Like, it's pathetic. It's just there's different types of egos that everyone has. Yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, that's so. It, it like at the end of the day, look, you're not even doing your job as a comedian if you don't make dumb jokes like the, some of the, yeah, the hardest i've ever fucking laughed is jackass and that's as dumb as it gets that's it that's it you know like yeah, yeah it's exactly that and it's just like you know like crusader there's like 
fucking half the country that thinks what I think. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's so stupid. That's true, man. All right, well we better anyway, yeah. we'll wrap that one up. Um, oh, good discussion. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs>